Welcome to the Patrick Jones Baseball Podcast. Hope everybody's having a great start to their week. Uh, the purpose of this podcast for the new listeners that we have is to help coaches develop more players. We do that through bringing on a different guest each week, and we'll break down you know, pitching, hitting, defense, and college recruiting, catching. And on this week's episode, we're talking about pitching, more specifically how to develop high school pitchers. So my guest is Jason Mills. Jason is currently the head coach at D.H. Conley High School. He's the pitching coach for the Canes Baseball 17U national team, scout for the New York Mets, president of the North Carolina Baseball Coaches Association, and a high school chemistry teacher. I think it's safe to say Jason is very, very active. So today we're talking about developing high school pitchers. Uh, Jason, I heard him speak at the ABCA this this past year in Nashville, and he was he was fantastic. So I'm sure you'll you'll get some value out of today's episode. Um, if you have not, please make sure to subscribe, rate, leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen at, and please make sure to share the show too. So the way this show works is we continue to grow through word of mouth. So if you enjoy the show, if you get any type of value out of the show, please share the show. I appreciate it. So with that. Ladies and gentlemen, here is now my episode with Jason Mills. All right, we are now live with Jason Mills. Jason, appreciate you coming on the show today. Oh, excited to be here. So I know you're a pitching guy. We met at the ABCA and, you know, you presented there, which was fantastic. I thought it was great. Let's say hypothetically, I, I'm a, a freshman high school pitcher. Okay, I've got a dream of of pitching college baseball one day, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get there. You tell me to run through a wall, run through a wall. What what are what are some of the things that you would have me doing right now on a regular weekly basis if I wanted to reach my potential and I'm willing to do whatever it takes? Work out three times a day for I don't care whatever it takes. What would you recommend? So. You know, for the young player, the the thing that's changed since, you know, back when I was in high school, which was in the 80s, which, you know, it's 30 years almost. Um, if you don't get in the weight room and you're not getting stronger and, you know, and you're not, you know, finding someone that knows what they're doing in the weight room. Um, so, like, you know, for me, my kids, they go and find we have other means. We have three or four other people that do their strength and conditioning because it's really not my forte and, and won't ever tell them that. But if you look at the college baseball player today, in my opinion, compared to 20 years ago, these guys are monsters. I mean, they really are, um, you know, and, and these guys are, are, are full grown men when they get there and you know, you look at the velocity that these pitchers are throwing nowadays and what's required to make it to college to to get there. Um, you have to be physically stronger. And I'm not going to say the late bloomers aren't going to make it there, but, um, you know, the majority of these guys are just they're incredibly in shape and incredibly strength wise. Um, and then, you know, you look at the guys that make it to the big leagues. It's it's even more fold at that point. Those guys are just they're they're freaks or they're specimens that, you know, don't happen very often. So, you know, my number one recommendation that is different than what we would, you know, you normally do would be the weight room would be the first and most important thing if they wanted to be a college baseball player. If they want to just be a good high school baseball player, then, you know, the long toss, um, 
you know, in the working, you know, the working through your coaches and trusting your coach and, and going through their process with them. Or if, you know, you're at a school that doesn't have a big process, probably, you know, finding somebody at a, at an academy or an indoor place that you trust and is going to have your best interest in mind. So, you know, there's lots of different avenues to that point. Um, but, you know, the biggest one right now is the strength and conditioning is, is just, it's the, a must nowadays. One of the things that I've seen is it seems that there's some high school coaches who like to run the strength conditioning themselves. Uh, do you recommend hiring somebody to come in as a strength coach if that's not your background or to just send players out and, and let them do their own thing at their own strength coaches? Like what, what would you recommend for coaches who uh, just aren't sure what to do in that regard? You know, optimally the hiring a strength coach would be would be the best if you have one at your school you know especially um if you have a great football coach that's willing to um differentiate from football right because football's a lot of power and and you know baseball's explosion and and power and flexibility and so if you have a good football coach that's in the weight room because you know or if you are in the weight room and you're you're good at it is to, to go places like ABCA and go listen to these guys that um, have have some knowledge and strength, you know, strength and conditioning and what to do in baseball. You know, with my Canes group, we have one of the best in the country in Josh Wright, and I'm fortunate to uh, be able to room with him. And I he takes classes online nonstop, and, you know, he constantly is trying to get better and push the envelope. And, you know, there's a lot of them out there that you can find – that are good. So, you know, there's really no right or wrong answer to that question. If, if you don't know, and you want to know, you can go educate yourself and then all of a sudden bring it because, you know, not every kid has the hundred dollars a week to go spend on somebody to train them per, you know, privately um, or more. I mean, I'm not even sure how much that stuff costs, but if, if, you know, you can't have that avenue, then you do need to search for somebody that, that can do it. So a private instructor. So pluses and minuses each way. I I love the weight room with the high school coach because it builds that team concept and those guys push each other. When you're in a private, it's, you better be able to self-motivate and push yourself. I've had Mm -hmm. kids that went private and they had 6 a.m. weights. And, you know, I talked to the guy who's doing it and they're like, yeah, I haven't seen so-and-so in about three workouts. He keeps missing. Why don't you give him a call? So it's a little bit of plus minus on both. What are your thoughts on, and this is going in a little bit of a a different direction here, kind of getting into the more the the pitching side of things, but what are your thoughts on, on pitch counts? high school season versus summer season like does the weather play any any part of that do you have your own philosophy on, on pitch counts i know with high school baseball getting ready to start up that's going to be a thing like it always is like what are your thoughts and what's your take on pitch counts so pitch counts are are a game changer for me because now it it forces everybody to develop as many kids as they can. And and let's be quite honest, that's what this game's about is to give as many kids opportunities. So, you know, we're already, already um, kind of scripting our first week of the season. Our scrimmages are already done. Our inner squads are already scripted out. So next week, the, the pitchers actually throw to hitter standing in a box, not swinging. The next week we start going live week after that, we start going live the week after that live. And then we're into, uh, tryouts and we'll 
will uh, scrimmage that Saturday, two of the top teams in the state the following Thursday, and then our season starts. So we're scripting out what we think is going to happen. And like I had a North Carolina commit named Matthew Mateus last year that was an All-American, 45 pitches limit, first outing. It's not about winning in March. It's about winning in May to me. Um, just because it says they, they're allowed to throw 105 pitches doesn't mean that they should. And, and and that's just my opinion. Another coach can argue with me all they want. I feel like we do a really good job. Our last bullpen uh, in the second week in February before tryouts, our guys are throwing 90 pitches. So it's going to be the routine prior to – it's basically a, a dress rehearsal for a game. It's their 30-pitch routine before game, uh, plus whatever they do out on the field. Then we go inning by inning, 15-pitch innings that are scripted out, what pitches they're going to throw – to you know in order and we chart everything and and velo everything to see a kind of about where they are because if we see maybe they get into that third inning and all of a sudden velo is starting to tick down on them quickly we know the body's not ready maybe for that third inning so all of a sudden that guy's going two innings and you're going maybe two 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 one and you're throwing four guys and for me that's really good because even if I lose the game, I mean, you know, I want to win, but even if I lose a game, I'm helping with moms and dads being happy because their son's getting out there and getting an opportunity. It's not the same two guys going nonstop. Um, we played a 14 game schedule the COVID year and I had two dudes and they went Tuesday. They went Thursday. They went Tuesday. They went Thursday. <laughs> we get into the state playoffs. You got to play three games the first week one went Tuesday, one went Thursday, and all of a sudden I'm going with a sophomore who hadn't started a game all year, and he pitched brilliantly. And all of a sudden I'm bringing guys out of the pen when he ran out of gas. And, um, you know, we're, we're we're bailing. I mean, we're doing the best job we can not to to lose that ball game, and we're fortunate to win it uh, in the bottom of the seventh. But, uh, you know, it kind of reminded me of what our goal is. Our goal is to develop as many kids as we can, and, you know, shorten our outings as it's cold, like you said, working our way up. Now, our JV program, uh, we do not let our kids go 105 pitches. That's a no-no. I mean, a kid's 15, 16 years old, maybe. Some of them are 14. Their bodies just aren't aren't fit for it, especially if they're hard throwers. If you have a – and in my opinion, if you have a freshman and he's throwing – max effort and he's throwing 80 82 at that time that's a great arm you know that's an arm for the future that you can really build upon even a guy throwing 75 77 in my eyes that's you know in in our in our data or what we've done you know we feel like that guy's going to be an 85 86 guy which is really good for high school you know it's not elite but it's really good it wins it wins and you don't want to blow those kids up early and and i've seen too many young kids hurt and too many young kids trying to force the issue um, before their body's ready. And so as a pitching coach, you've got to make decisions. Um, now, Summer, I'm in a different situation uh, than everybody else's because my boss gives me all the cool toys to play with with the Canes. I mean, I got between 16 to 21 pitchers. Um, my hardest time is making sure that I keep everybody happy because these guys want to throw. Well. This guy might have thrown 70 innings during the spring. He's already beat up. So we're going to go, you know, 60 pitches tops. So 60 pitches with some of these guys might be four innings. And then I get another guy out there. But the best thing is 
that night, the next day, they still can feel their body. They still can feel their arm. They're not hurting, which is with an elite arm, you don't ever want to take a chance on, um, you know, and so these guys are are getting their outings and, and, and Jeff and I, uh, Petty and I have talked many a times over the last 11 years and, you know, he's on board with me. My thought is this, if a pro guy comes to see one of my pitchers and he goes out there and it's a hundred degrees and he's really dominant for three innings. And then I run him out in inning four and he's starting to run out of steam. That guy's going to go, Oh, you know, he, he runs out of steam after three innings. He's not worth what I thought he was. He's worth less. And now it's costing money, you know? And so if these pro guys want to see him go longer, they'll go see him in high school anyway. And that's when they're going to get to see him extend. So during the summer, it's, it's more about short, great outings than it is about lengthy outings yeah and for those listening um that would be the the 17u canes national team correct correct yes sir okay yeah so going back to the the pitch counts for high school so if you got high school coaches on here listening what would be is there a, a number that they should never hit that they should never pitch to in high school Oof. well that's a tough one because every kid is different so you might have a kid that's a senior that's 18 years old and he throws 77 to 80 miles an hour and is playing catch and he's okay to go out to that that number. Um, but you might have a you know out to the 105 and and that's where each coach has to know their their players. Um, you might have a guy that goes out in the first two innings, he's 90 miles an hour, max effort. And then in the, all of a sudden in the third and fourth inning, you see that velocity really starting to drop off. Um, and, and the nice thing for me at my high school is we have a radar gun with the radar board going. So we see every every pitch of every game both both ways. And, and it tells us really quickly if a guy starts off at 90 and then in the fourth inning he's 84 – there's there's something you know starting to happen to his body. He's starting to break down. He might be pitching great, but the body's starting to break down at that point. And that's as a pitching coach, I get somebody up in the bullpen, and you know we're throwing down there because it, the end is near for that pitcher. Um, some guys will go out there and they'll be 88 and they'll sustain 88 for seven innings. Um, so the number really fluctuates i think on the maturity level and the strength level of the pitcher and how well he has taken care of his body um how well he is is throwing at that certain time young kids sophomores and freshmen i'm i'm a lot more apprehensive um you know we have right now i think we have something like 24 freshmen and sophomores uh on our jv and freshman team and you know, per week, we if we're playing two games, I'd like to see eight different guys toe the rubber. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and 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 that's good because you never know what a young man's going to turn into. So I had a lefty, um, my freshman coach, for whatever reason, only threw him one inning in an entire twenty-three game schedule. Well, he's not that good. His sophomore year, he throws like five innings. His junior year, he throws 16 outings for me in like 30 games. Now, they were one and two inning outings. Next year, he comes back. He gets a couple starts, but, you know, he continues to throw out of the pen in short innings, and all of a sudden, the kid's a college pitcher, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he went from five foot tall to six foot tall over the course of his career, and he put on 40 or 50 pounds during that time. So, the more you can keep them involved, especially at that young age. I mean, and I, I will challenge all young coaches, you know, JV coaches or freshman coaches, 
no one cares about your record. You know, <laughs> it doesn't go in the paper. And I know it. our ego gets us a little bit. It really does. At the end of the day, it's about the development of our kids and then getting them to that varsity level where they can compete. Or if they're a sophomore or freshman, getting them prepared for that, that level and where they can compete, because that's really what people are paying attention to what happens in the end. And um, my fortunate for me, my coaches understand that. Now they get a little irked with me a little bit because they do want to win conference championships, you know, even if it's on JV, but it's not the first and foremost importance for us. Okay. So pitch counts, there's some nuance to it just because of how old the kid is, how maybe even how hard he throws and, and all of that. What about pitch innings for, for the entire year? You got the spring season and the summer season, uh, do you have any any thoughts on that, even if they are anecdotal and, and not even necessarily backed up by by data? Yeah. Um, it, max for me is 100 innings on anybody. Um, and that's the whole year. So uh, we had Mackenzie Gore. He threw 82 pitch, 82 innings for his high school senior year. Uh, North Carolina has a very, very, very long playoffs. It's it's four single elimination rounds after 24 games season. And then a best out of three, best out of three. And back then, uh-huh. McKenzie threw Friday night and then came back and threw on Saturday through 12 innings in 24 hours, you know, and th- that was the rules back then. Um, and, and you know, McKenzie was fine. And thank goodness he was fine. Um, you know, and his coaches, I, I know them well, had his best interest. So he comes to us with 82 innings. And, you know, we're talking the third pick in the first round here. We're talking about the guy. And so we mapped out his outings and right at the beginning of the summer, I remember Coach Petty talking to his parents saying, hey, is he going to play in the All-American game? Yes. One inning there. Okay. Is he going to throw at East Coast Pro? Yes. That's two innings there. So that's now we're down to our numbers 97 and we're at 82. So that means he's 15 innings. McKenzie and his family traveled out to uh, Los Angeles with us, did not pitch through a bullpen. Went to Vegas with us right after that, did not pitch. Goes to Louisville. We gave him a touch. Uh, one inning just to kind of he had been throwing a pen here or there with us but then a touch inning in Louisville go to Atlanta he throws his five inning outing um, and then after that we went to uh, um, perfect game world series out in Arizona and he threw he actually threw a seven inning 82 pitch CG it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen against a really good team and after that we said thank you very much and you're done with us. And we hadn't quite got to the number, but that was our number. Um, younger kids, you know, again, it, it goes on body type and and what you feel is is happening to their body. I mean, I'll, I'll have a young kid come to me and say, hey, I'm not going to throw this fall. I'm just wore out. Perfect. Perfect. Let's go. Let's go spring and summer. That's that's good enough. Um, you know, but I, I do try to stress to these guys that, you know, when you do get to college, you are going to have to be able to throw in the fall, um, right. you know, and you're going to have to throw into the summer at the at the better schools, which, you know, that's what all our kids want to play at are the better schools. I mean, you know, a, a guy that goes to I've had a couple guys pitch at East Carolina and Cliff Godwin takes them, you know, until July 1st every year into Super Regional. So they're going and then, you know, they might get the month of July off, but August hits and they're training again, getting ready for the fall. Um so it's something that, you know, I, I hear a lot of people talk about shutting down and and shutting down from throwing in games is good, but not 
shutting down from playing catch and working on your craft. Um, you know, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, go ahead. No, I I just wanted to, cause I, you hear that from certain big league pitchers and from other coaches, you maybe hear the opposite thing, but should kids be, you hear this, you know, you shouldn't be throwing all year round, but should you actually be thrown year round? Like doesn't like I've actually heard that that what you will decrease injuries if you continually throw all year round, not necessarily on the mound max effort, but just continuing to throw. So I had I have myself and and one pitcher. Uh, I can use examples of this of why you should continue to throw. So in between my finally, it took me four years. I redshirted a year in college, and it finally it finally had clicked on me that fourth year. And then that summer, I needed to take a class so I could graduate And um, after in the spring. And uh, so I, I didn't play. I, I played a little bit, but it was only like a 10-day contract. And so when I came back from the fall after not playing half of June and all of July and then August and I came back, slider was gone. Mm-hmm. Feel of all my pitches was gone. And I hadn't played catch and I had gotten lazy and I stayed out of the weight room and, you know, all these things. And I just wasn't the same guy. And and I wasn't the same guy until about February. It took me a long time to get back. I had a pitcher uh, that went to Louisville, uh, redshirted a year named Philip Sanderson. He left and went to Chipola, uh, was the MVP of their state tournament, World College World or their Juco World Series national champion. And Jeff took care of my boy. My boy didn't take care of Jeff because uh, he threw a seven-inning shutout against uh, Sanjak in the semifinals. And before they got on the bus, Philip asked for the ball for the final game. He wanted to start again the next day. And, of course, you can't do that with that kid. But that was the one – Philip was a bulldog. So that night in the seventh inning, they were running out of pitching, and Jeff was wondering what to do. And he looked down, and Philip had gotten himself up and through. It was throwing already. And got himself loose, came in and through the seventh, eighth, and ninth, and got a dog pile on him. So he's going to play for UNCG the next year. And Link Jarrett's like, I don't want you to do anything. Shut it down. He was never the same after that. All of a sudden, by the end of the fall, you know, there's problems with the UCL. Um, now, was it because he shut down or whatever? Well, Philip told me, he goes, you know, I can't throw a breaking ball for a strike. I can't throw change up anywhere remotely what I had last spring. I just lost all feel. So, you know, the, the story for me is this, is that you can continue to throw. You don't have to get on the mound and like amp it up. Okay. That, that's a no, no, but playing catch and just keeping yourself loose and, and, and having flexibility, in my opinion, while you're lifting and continuing to get stronger at that point is a good thing. The other thing is it helps you. Okay. So my breaking ball wasn't my best pitch. Let's go ahead and work on the breaking ball during that time. Um, You know, it doesn't have to be a hundred percent start building that confidence. So when you do hit February or March, whenever your season starts, all of a sudden now, now you've got an electric breaking ball to go with whatever else you had. So that's what I think the off season is. Is it okay to take two weeks off and go fishing? Sure. Absolutely. Everybody needs to go fishing every now and then, but, uh, or play golf or whatever you do. But um, once that happens, you need to, you need to start playing catch again, because you don't want to have a, a rushed amp ups, you know, where you're pushing everything, you know, and coaches going, Hey, you were 88 last year. And I keep looking at track man and you're 82, you know, and all of a sudden you're going to start rushing and, and that's when bad things can happen. Yeah. It seems like it's such a big part of, 
just pitching in general is just feel. And so you just don't want to lose that, that feel of, of your pitch types and just your arm slot and everything else that goes into it. And kind of the example that you gave right there with that kid is he kind of lost the feel and he couldn't get anything over for a strike anymore because he just stopped throwing and shut it down for an, a period of time. Yeah, it was it was a lengthy time, too. It was like almost four months at that. point. Oh, wow. So he, he took off a long period of time before he started throwing again, just because they were worried with the amount of work he had put in at that point. But, you know, Philip was a kid that he didn't want to play professional baseball. He wanted mm. to, he's a game warden. He likes to fish and hunt and yeah. he enjoyed playing baseball and loved it, but you know, it wasn't going to be the end all for him. So he wanted to go. It was just their coaching staff thought that was the best option for him at that time. What What are you looking for in a pitcher? We had talked a little bit about at ABCA where, you know, for your 17U national team for the Canes, you you mentioned you're looking for not just a pitcher, but the pitcher, the guy. What, what exactly are you looking for? Because there's a lot of kids out there who throw 90. Oh, so yeah. What What are you looking for? So when we go and evaluate and, and try to find the guy, it's the competitiveness for me. Um, you know, I'll be quite honest. I, I like seeing if I see a guy multiple times and he fails one time, that's a positive for me, believe it or not, because now I want to see how he reacts after he fails. And I would challenge every player out there and coach out there to stress this to the kids. You're going to fail in this game the more you go up. You could succeed. You could be Dylan Lesko and never fail in high school. I mean, that kid was just unbelievable. But when he gets to pro ball, he's going to fail. And it, it's a question is, how can you handle the failure because you know that's a big thing so when we go and i go watch a kid one i'm looking for competitiveness okay i want to see how that young man competes and you know if he's a competitive pitcher and you can tell a guy that is competitive versus not ultra competitive um you know that that's a big way on us how do you how do you know that Oh, by their preparation pregame, by their postgame, um, by how they carry themselves on the mound, how they carry themselves in the dugout in between innings. I mean, when I'm at area coach, half the time, I'm not even watching. If there's a kid I'm interested in, I'm not even looking into watching the game on the field. I'm looking into their dugout watching that young man. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's I'm looking for that kid and for for what we do, we're looking for the guys that are going to go play professional baseball. Um, they, it's not so much just having a really good high school player. It's having a guy that is one day possibly going to be on TV. And that's who we're, we're really stressing looking for. Um, and so that, that's the first part is the competitiveness. The second thing is the ability to command off speed in the zone. Um, we want to see them be able to throw either a changeup or a breaking ball for a strike and and it'd be swing and miss too. That's another positive. We, you know, if he's getting barreled up, but he's throwing strikes with it, yeah, that's not what we're looking for. Uh, and then the the last thing for me would be the velocity. Um, you know, command with pitches before that. But you know, if I have a guy that's ninety miles an hour, but he's throwing three pitches for strikes at any time, and there's another guy that's throwing ninety six miles an hour all over the place, I'm not going with that second guy because walks walks lose games at our level um you know because a walk scenario as well so it, it, with wood bats as good as these pitchers are 
uh, as good as these hitters are, you know, if you put guys on on base, they're going to score runs. And and that's the thing. We don't want to give up any freebies. And, you know, I think we were looking at Jupiter this year uh, and we we're looking at the runs we gave up. I think the other team only hit like completely hit and scored one run off us the entire Jupiter run. Everything else were free passes or got on by an error. And so that's what we try to stress with our guys is, is bang the zone. Okay. You know, Jeff puts the best defense in the country out behind you for a reason. They're going to make you look really good. When you got Kevin McGonagall and Brock Chalowski out behind you at short and second, they're not going to make any errors and they're going to make plays they're not supposed to. And they make you look really good on the mound. So yeah. uh, it's better to pitch to that contact. How do you guys go about being able to to find some of these guys? I mean, is it just word of mouth, trusted contacts? How does how does that work? Um, Do I give away my secrets here? Uh, sure, uh, why not? <laughs> so we have a network um, that, that Jeff and uh, Dan Gitson have created across the country. We have teams in California, Arizona so on down the road. The secret is the better you treat kids, okay, the better you treat families, the easier it is going to be to get the next kid because word of mouth travels. So us in Seattle, the Canes in Seattle, Washington, we get whoever we want. We've had, you know, four or five, Corbin Carroll, J.R. Ritchie, Malachi Knight. I mean, I could go on up there. If they've got an elite player up there, the way we've treated these young men and their families, they're going to highly suggest us. So that's the first thing. Uh, Jeff talked about, you know, what are the do's and don'ts of running a, a travel organization? Well, number one is, is you know, tr how you treat people head to toe. Um, you know, I get told no more recruiting than I get told yes. And that's okay. Every kid I, I get told no by, I thank them for their time, tell them I think they're a wonderful player. If there's anything I can ever do, just let me know. And I'm going to enjoy watching you over the next couple of years until you get on the TV, on big TV. And, you know, you, you treat people the right way and you, you kill people with kindness. And that goes a long way. Um, we have somebody at just about every major event from, you know, 14U to 17U, Perfect Game National, Area Codes, East Coast Pro. Um, Jeff runs a thing called Border Battle. We picked up a kid named Chase Meyer that was up to 98 at Jupiter there. Never seen this kid before, heard of him, but never seen him before. Watched him throw one inning and absolutely adored him. Um, and then he joined us for the fall. And so, you know, sometimes you get lucky. Um, other times you don't. I will say um, when you have a record that Jeff has created with the Canes and we have followed suit with, advisors tend to want to push their kids towards you. Um, you know, a lot of advisors like what we do with our pitchers, the fact that we're not killing them during the summer, that they're mm -hmm. not going out throwing 60 or 70 innings during the summer. They're throwing 25, that they're fresh, they're healthy. We didn't put him in harm's way. And so the next year, if he has another guy, he'll send it to us, so on down the road. So there's a lot of parts that help us. But I will tell you the way we treat our, our clients or our kids and our parents are immaculate. And that that's the number one thing. Yeah, it's no different than than if you were to run a business, right? It's kind of, you know, if you take care of the 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 customer, you have a good product or whatever, and you know, you're not necessarily worried about trying to get more people to to buy it it's just you just take care of, of who's supporting you and who's you know under you and and word of mouth tend to travel 
Absolutely. I mean, and that's, it, it makes it easier. And I will tell you, we've kind of changed our model a little bit in the last five or six years. Uh, our general manager actually started doing our youth programs at 14 and 15, and we're not doing as much add-ons as what we've done in the past. It, it, it seems like now those 14-year-olds are going to 15 and 15 and 16 and 16 and 17. So the group you see at 14U will be with us again at 17U in three years after that, which makes it a lot easier on us that we're not having to go out and build rosters every year. Um, and, and that's tough. It, it's a tough way to do business. Um and so, and it's also nice because like one of the top guys in the country in the 16 class is Carson Messina. Um, and I got a chance to watch him pitch as a 15 year old and a 16 year old. And then he came with me to Jupiter and got to watch him pitch there. And it, it's building that relationship and that trust with that young man and his family. Um, and we also had his older brother, Cole, who was a catcher for us, uh, for a couple of years. And so that part be gets re gets rewarding as well as when you do get to build relationships with families over long periods of time instead of just a summer, you know, and, and that part of the way our organization is run, I, I really enjoy and love. What's something that you see at the travel ball level that you don't like from a pitching development standpoint, whether no matter what it is from just how guys are using pitchers, like what's something that you see consistently that needs to be improved in your opinion? Um, one throwing too many time, too many innings during this summer. Now it, it, I could get argued with that. Well, this kid only threw 25 innings this spring. Okay. Well then let's, let's get him at 60 innings during the summer. I'm good with that. I mean, I'm negotiable and, and would love to discuss any, any question or somebody that disagrees because I don't have all the answers. Um, I worry about the lack of development during the summer instead of just handing the ball uh, to the kid. Uh, there's no video of those kids being taken where their pitching coach is breaking things down if there's an issue. If there's not an issue, taking video so you have it when something does go wrong and you can go back to something positive. Uh, the problem with travel ball is in between games, you got 30 minutes. So kids will show up an hour before game, they'll hit, they'll run out on the field, they'll throw. And there's no real work going on with the kids on a daily basis there. And that's what I love about my program because, see, we'll practice three or four hours before the game and practice for two hours. And the guy who threw yesterday, if there was something wrong, I get it work with them. And the guy who's throwing tomorrow, we might go on his cues. I got a, a notebook that me and Coach Connor write everything down on and and what we've saw in our outings there and we keep up and it's a continual work with our kids on what we're seeing um if a kid's from like let's say california and he's got a pitching coach out there we try to reach out to the pitching coach in california what is it that you're working on there so i can continue to concrete here because we don't want to confuse this young man where i'm going left and you're going right you know and all of a sudden this this young man i think i went backwards on my hands there uh where you know this young man's getting confused and now all of a sudden we're going the wrong way so um that is the thing that really, as a pitching guy, bothers me that there's not much total instruction going on in that development, which is, to be honest, take 20 minutes after an outing or, you know, 15 minutes after an outing and talk to these guys about what they're doing. Show them, get in the bullpen. I love 
rain delays because if there's no lightning, because we can get in the bullpen and talk about what we're doing and and try to do that with every every young man on our team. So that way, ultimately, you know, they're they're getting what they they came for, and that's that instruction to become better and possibly be on on TV one day. Outside of of arm strength, hitting the weight room, what what's something that's underlooked from a pitching development standpoint? I, you know, everybody's king on velocity right now, um, which is, you know, the the big thing that I guess it should be because, you know, nobody's going to go watch a really good pitcher that's 82. Right. But everybody's going to go see a guy that throws 92. But the big thing I have is the ability to command pitches in the zone and out of the zone when you want to be able to throw a swing and miss breaking ball at will that starts over the outside corner and breaks, you know, six to eight inches off the plate that nobody can make contact with. And, you know, we're missing out a little bit, I think, on the development of the off-speed pitches and the command of the fastball a little bit. Um, I'm still old school. I, I'm I'm buying into the climb the ladder and raise the top of the zone a little bit more each year as these guys are continuing to throw harder. But if I try to do that in my high school and have that part of it, and I've got a guy that throws 84 and he, we try to put one in the top of the zone and he misses four inches down, he just gave a cookie to an average hitter who's going to bang it for a hit, you know, or possibly a home run. Um, we still try to tunnel the bottom of the zone. We try to pitch in a tremendous amount at my high school and with the Canes. That's one of the biggest things that we try to promote. Guys are hitting with wood bats. You throw 90-plus miles an hour. Let's break the $120 bat right out of his hand and make him cry a little bit. you know. And so um, I think the command is the biggest thing, and then the development of the off-speed behind that is, is really important. Uh, and I try to sell our guys is, well, if you throw 90 and this guy throws 90, how do you separate yourself from them? Well, yeah, spin rate. That's great. You can look at that. But really, 90 mile an hour fastballs are going to be relatively close in the spin rate. Um, you know, if you have a sinker ball guy compared to a guy that doesn't have a sinker ball. Yeah, that 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 gives an extra thing. Um, but now let's put the change up in the breaking ball with that. It does it does it make you a better pitcher than that other guy? Can you separate? Can you hit the outside corner whenever you want? Can you come in and bust in? Can you raise the top of the zone? Can you bounce your breaking ball? Like if you watch these guys in the big leagues, especially in the playoffs, these guys out of the pen, their off-speed command is unbelievable. They're throwing 3-1 sliders like it's a fastball down the middle. And and hitters are just like, well, I'm not going to swing at it because that's I'm going to get out. You know, let's see if he can do it again. And and these guys at that level are just unbelievable. And that's what you're trying to prepare your young men for is to get to that point where you can throw that breaking ball or that change up behind in the count. And when you get someone that can can throw with some velocity – locate and throw their off speed behind and counts hitters are in trouble big time big time trouble. well i think i mean well first of all i think it's awesome that you're having these guys throw hard inside because that's not something that i see a lot of pitchers doing or even trying to do is pitch hard in and the majority of hitters don't know how to hit an inside pitch so i think it's like why wouldn't you do that especially with the wood bat I think so many times two pitchers give hitters way more credit than they deserve. 
I mean, your the statistics are in your favor as the pitching as the pitcher, you know, and it's not even close. So right. like, just go after him. That was, I was listening to Robbie Ray talk about that a little bit too, where he was like, like I hit at, uh, before when I was in the NL, and like it's hard. Like, I, and we give these guys way too much credit when it comes to to being a, a you know a good hitter, being afraid of them from a hitting standpoint. He's like, so I just attack them. I just go in, in attack mode, just like here's what I got. Like, see if you can hit it. Um, now the other thing he said too, which I want to ask you about, is he was like. I have a good fastball and I have a good slider. So I'm not going to worry about anything else. I'm just going to do a fastball slider. You have your guys. Is it a progression where it's like, okay, you can command the fastball. Now we're going to, now we're going to work it. Now we're going to have a breaking ball. Okay. Now you can command those two. Now we're going to add the changeup. Is that the progression you have or what's your, what's your framework for developing pitches? So yeah, fastball is always going to be first. I mean, right. you know, we might we might have a guy like we had a closer in nineteen that he had a he had a just a banger of a breaking ball. So he was a little bit backwards, but he was a, an exception. He threw eighty two miles an hour, but had had a, an, an unhittable breaking ball in high school. Um, and so he was a little. He was also a catcher all the way up until the spring of his junior year. And I was about to cut him. And, and I said, you ever pitch? Cause I'm about to cut. He goes, well, I'll try it. And he gets <laughs> up there and I'm like, okay, that's not bad. You throw a curveball and he threw it. And I'm like, you're a pitcher now, but you know, getting back to, to the original question, I it's fastballs always first. That's what we've got to develop first. So, you know, the first three weeks of my bullpens, 90% are fastball and then 10% are changeups in our bullpens. Um, and then we introduce a breaking ball and then it goes 80% fastball, 10% change up, 10% breaking ball. And, and then we start to build a little bit as we go towards the off speed and less fastballs. But if you've got a guy and he has a, a, you know, a zero break or change up, you're wasting your time on that. You know, you can try to make it better. It's nice to say, I want that change up, but you know, if he can have a, a, you know, a lights out breaking ball, whether it be a slider or a curveball, then then you go with it. Um, for me, I, I just I had a terrible fastball. I couldn't throw hard enough to get it by people. I could locate it okay at the knees, but my slider was really good. And then all of a sudden I developed a, a fork ball and you know a little splitter and and all of a sudden that was a game changer for me. So having in high school, honestly having two great pitches is really good. I'm still in the belief you can't have a great slider and a great curveball. You can have two average ones, or you can have one great one and then nothing on the other side. So I really try to stress at my level just to have one great one. Now, as you get older and your body starts, you start to learn and you become stronger and you want to go, hey, I'm going to throw a fastball. I'm going to throw a 12-6 curve. I'm going to throw a cutter in there. Well, the cutter is a really easy pitch to, to pitch off your, your curveball or your fastball with rather because it's not much different in the delivery uh, where the breaking ball, there's a lot of difference in there. Um, but, you know, when you get a young kid and you're trying to confuse him with a lot of different things, he's going to be really average with those things. And so development first. So Matthew Mateus, his freshman year, uh, pitched on varsity for me. Uh, he was fastball change and every now and then a curveball, just a show curveball. His sophomore year, we flip-flopped. The curveball became really good. The changeup kind of went backwards. We were basically fastball 
uh, curveball for two outings because we got hit with COVID. Then all of a sudden he became a 17-year-old and both of them were clicking. And I was like, now we got something. 18-year-old, curveball wasn't good enough. We switched over to a slider that summer with the Canes uh, before we went back to high school. And all of a sudden he's buckling 14, 15 guys a game uh, per seven innings. And, you know, and all of a sudden it's really good. And he goes to North Carolina and they ditched all his off speed and taught him something new. So, oh, Coach Gaines knows what and Forbes know what they're doing there. So I'm I'm gonna trust in the process with them. Uh, I've watched his new his new breaking ball, and I love it much more than the two breaking balls he had with me. And you know that's the process of being a pitcher. It's just having two great pitches is better than having four mediocre pitches. Mm-hmm. And that that's and and young kids especially, um, you'll confuse the crap out of them if you try to get them to do too many different things. Why don't you like having guys throw a try to throw a slider and a breaking ball and a curveball when they're young? Well, just hard. in general, it's seen, or is that are you just referring to when they're young in high school, or but when they're older, it's it's a different. So as they get older, um, you know that eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and they become full men, and they're really understanding their body a lot more and a lot better than they did when they were fifteen and sixteen. It's easier for them because repetition of their delivery at 15 and 16 is very rare. Those kids still struggle with making everything pretty close to being the same on every pitch. But when they're 19 and 20, they can do that. Um, they've also already figured out which the way their body works the best. So now I'm, I've got this curveball that I'm out here on, and it, it's a little bit of a of a you know maybe a two o'clock to to seven o'clock breaking ball. And I know that's my curveball, but now I want to get something that's a little bit short and tighter. So now I come in and I throw the cutter and it's, it's more like my fastball and I just get about six inches of cut. That guy can do that at that point. But if I try to do that with a 15 year old, he's having trouble mastering the curveball. Now all of a sudden I add the slider in there and now all of a sudden he calls it his slider, but it's the same pitches as curveball. I will do tryouts for kids and they'll throw, tell me, yeah, I throw a curveball and a slider. Okay, let me see both. Velo will be the exact same movement, will be the exact same and they're exact same pitch, but they call them two different things. And, you know, that's when I say master one before you move on to the other one. And I always think, I'll be quite honest, in my opinion, you know, and, and listening to kind of the Trevor Bauer speak, uh, he did something on Twitter a couple months or a month ago, tunnel a pitch and have it go in three different directions. This, you know, a pit, all three of your pitches and work from that. And if you can make your fastball run this way and your changeups running this way, but then your slider or curveball is going that way, and they're all coming from that same view to the hitter, now all of a sudden that's really tough on a hitter you know, to hit off of. But if you've got something that's coming from over here and then your fastball's up here and then you drop down on your changeup over there and these kids are trying to trying to make things happen that are unnatural to their arm slot, it, it makes things a lot easier on the better hitters. And it, you're going to see them a lot more inconsistent on the mound as well. So that's why we, with the young kids, you know, starting out with two pitches is where we'd like to get to. I can guarantee you 90% of the kids at 15, 14, 16 years old can't throw a changeup. 
They don't mm-hmm. like the way it feels. It's a different grip, but the, so the breaking ball is going to be their number two. But it doesn't mean we quit on that pitch at that point. Mm-hmm. We continue to try to work it. We just might not throw it in the game all season. So, but we still work on it on a daily basis to to get it. So when they get to that next level, they can, uh, you know, if it's varsity, they'll be ready for it there. Gotcha. Jason, I got I got one last question for you. Sure. So you're you're the head coach, DH Conley, pitching coach for the the Kane 17U National. You're a physics and chemistry teacher, and you're also the president of the North Carolina Baseball Coaches Association. Yeah, an associate scout for the Mets. And what I mean, what don't you do? What don't you do? Um, what I don't do is not love this game. I okay. love this game and somewhere. I've had such great mentors. Um, I I was a leech when I was young. Okay. I wanted more. And so every great Hall of Famer, whether it be people probably might not know these names, uh, Rabbit Fulgham or my, my rival coach who's got 970 some wins four miles down the road. That is my big rival. One of my favorite people in the world, Ronald Vincent. Um, Hall of Famer, Charlie Spivey, uh, George Whitfield, four-time national coach of the year. I mean, I just leached on to these guys, and they taught me something. To truly be a great coach, in my opinion, you need to be helping other coaches. And that is my mission in life now, is that I don't care. I I, I want to win. I want to win another state championship, but if I don't, that's Okay. I want to win another Jupiter or whatever. If I don't, that's okay. But teaching young people and helping the next generation of coaches is what our motto is with the association. We want to be stewards of the game. And I think the more of us, the older coaches are really worried about this next generation of coaches, especially at the high school level, because they're coming. They want a state championship caliber team right away. It's not going to happen. You know, the patience you have to have at the beginning um, is less and less. And people want that immediate. And it's it's about building. And if you don't ever win one, that's okay. Just build a lot of great relationships with kids. Build something you can be proud of. You know, give them as many uniforms as they can. Give them as nice a field as you can. You know, uh, work, you know, every day to make the game better. And if you can do that, and a bunch of us would work to doing that, and I think there are, you know, I I went to the ABCA and I saw, you know, 10,000 coaches that that's, I think that's what their goal is. Uh, Then we're going to be in great shape. So as an older veteran coach of 27 years, my one recommendation is grow the game through the youth coaches. And and that's, what's going to be important. Your JV coaches, your middle school coaches, your little league coaches, so on down the road. Awesome. Jason, appreciate you coming on the show, man. You're a stud. I appreciate you having me.